You are listening to The North Podcast, a ministry of Mount Perrin North in Marietta, Georgia. Man, it's good to see you tonight. Welcome to our first night of Revival Nights here at Mount Perrin North. We are thrilled that you are here, and I am so excited about our speaker tonight. I'm not even going to call him a guest speaker. He's just one of us. He's been one of us for 40 years, and we are so delighted that he is back with us tonight. But I also recognize some of you are new to Mount Perrin North, and you may not know this, but our guest speaker is Dr. Mark Rutland. He is a fantastic leader, a wonderful, wonderful preacher, and um, he is, I'm going to just sort of, from memory, tell you a few things about him. He was an associate pastor here at Mount, at Mount Perrin uh, when it was all five churches in one location, I think two churches at the time, and he went back and forth between here and Central, and did such a fantastic job. Left here, became senior pastor in Orlando, Florida, and turned around a very struggling congregation and made it successful once again. Then God took him to Southeastern University, another turnaround place where it was in dire straits. God used him for 10 years to turn that university into a wonderful place. Um, And then God called him to ORU to be president of that university as well and uh, just did a fantastic job there. And he has still doing right now but he has always been, his heart is the founder of Global Servants Ministry, um, a, a world missions organization that ministers to those, the gospel, but also to teen girls that are in dire situation to get them out of sexual exploitation, teaching them skills in order to live. He's got a great passion uh, for all of those things. He is a New York Times best-selling author. He's got some books, and I'm telling you, if you haven't, listen. If you haven't read any of his books, you need to do that. They are absolutely fantastic. Um, most of them have to do with um, the spiritual things. There is a book, though, if you're a business leader and you want to know some great truths, it's called The Turnaround Leader, you need to get that. If you want to learn how to turn around an organization, it is a fantastic place, a uh, book to start and a fantastic place to start. I also want to say he has been uh, a friend uh, when he didn't have to be to me. He's been a mentor. Um, and he's been a consultant here. When we redid this place uh, four and a half years ago, he came alongside us and uh, guided us, mainly guided me because I'd never done this before, and uh, just helped me just say, when I'd say, here's what I'm going to say, he'd go, that sounds great. Don't say it like that. And he'd say, say it like this. He was su- such a positive leader, but he helped guide us And much of the success you see here, he was behind the scenes doing that. And I want you to give a great Mount Perrin North welcome home to Dr. Mark Rutland as he comes tonight. Good evening. Hello. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Please be seated. Thank you. Thank you, Pastor, for that gracious introduction. It made me feel... Welcome again. Thank you. It's great to be back. I love coming back to Mount Perrin. So much of my, of my life since I, I think of my whole career, if I you know, say minister career, I think of my whole career as pre-Mount Perrin and post-Mount Perrin. And uh, it's, uh, it's really, really was, uh, as it has been for so many people, a life-changing and direction-changing church for me. And, uh, and I, I'm, I'm grateful, eternally grateful, for how God encountered me here at Mount Perrin, uh, particularly through the late, great Dr. Paul Walker. Uh, he, was, he was just a, they're just those people in life that are just those watershed moments and people in your life. 
And uh, I'll never, ever cease to say how God used him in my life. He was an aha moment for me. I literally, not figuratively, I literally came from preaching on the hood of a Land Rover in West Africa onto the platform of the largest Pentecostal church east of the Mississippi. And it was not only an aha moment, it was a terrifying moment. You realize you have stepped in a hole that's over your head. And it was great. And I learned more here, was changed more, informed in leadership and things that have changed my life and, and changed the, the three institutions to which you made reference. Thank you. You're so gracious to mention those. But really, I, I give God and Mount Perrin a great deal of the credit. I, I could never have possibly um, even withstood the the blast furnace at Calvary Church in Orlando, let alone experience the turnaround that we had there if it hadn't been for what I learned here. And so I'm grateful. Enough of that. It's great to be back. So glad to see all of you here. Pastor mentioned some of the books. Relaunched the book to which you made reference, the business book, which made the New York Times bestseller list. We did not bring that one tonight, Uh, but I have four others here. If each of you will buy a thousand... um, (laughs) You can put these on the New York Times bestseller list. (laughs) Teach that Bill O'Reilly a lesson. (laughs) But there are four out there. Uh, This is Ronnie Brandon here on the front row. He is our chief of operations works. Our son, Travis, is now the president at Global Servants. And and Ronnie Brandon works for him as the chief of operations. And he's here himself to meet you at the book table. And once I'm free here... uh, at the front of the church, I'll also come to the book table as well. Somebody wondered if I would sign books. My signature in your book makes it defaced and therefore worthless, but I'm, I'm perfectly happy to deface your book. Uh, here are the four that we have here. This is 21 Seconds to Change Your World. This is a book about the Lord's Prayer and the 23rd Psalm. It's, it's a remarkable coincidence that the two greatest devotional classics in two of the world's great religions, were composed by two men born in the same small village a thousand years apart. And uh, this, this was written at a time of great stress in my life. I hope it'll be a blessing to you. Uh, this book is called Courage to be Healed. And yet again, a great deal that is in this book was begun to be launched in my life here. When the, anybody remember when the PSI was here, the Psychological Studies Institute? was here before it became Richmond Graduate University. And uh, Dr. Walker uh, required all of us to do counseling. I said, I don't know anything about counseling. He said, figure it out. And uh, he was gentle uh, a lot. <laughs> Rest his soul. And um, so I had to learn counseling here. This is a book on inner healing. Uh, it, it is my conviction that the number one variable in emotional healing is not faith. It's courage to face what's wrong and face what you have to go through. to be. This is called Courage to be Healed. I hope that it will be a blessing to you. Uh, this, this book has been a huge, huge, continues to sell like crazy. This is David the Great. This is a book on the life and leadership of King David. It's been a huge seller for us. Uh, one reason is because we got a group of people to read that are not famous readers, <laughs> men, 
Um, we started to put pictures in this one. Uh, <laughs> regardless of what you women think, some men can read. Uh, but uh, this book has been huge because women love it and men read it. And, and it has been great for us. Why wouldn't men read it? Why not? David was a man's man. He was a tough guy. He was a warrior's warrior. The kind of guy you want to take deer hunting with you. You might not want him to take your wife deer hunting. You... <laughs> but I deal with that. This, this is not the sterilized Sunday school version. This is not little David play on your harp. This is a complex, complicated, multifaceted genius who lived at the edge of the, on the cusp between the Bronze Age and, and the Iron Age. Think about that, 3,000 years ago, who killed hundreds and hundreds of people personally and through his extended agencies, thousands, thousands. And yet, the sensitive heart of a poet that could write poetry that still reaches us three millennia later. I mean, who is that guy? And he's still called a man after God's own heart. That's what I wanted to know. That's why, I mean, he had some minor issues, murder and adultery, but, <laughs> but why after that is he still called a man after God's own heart? And that's, that's what that's about. And then finally, this book is the newest one. This is of Kings and Prophets. This is a book about the conflict between supernatural authority and secular power. As we come to this traumatic election in this country, I, I urge you to read this book. This is a book about that conflict between those two agencies of power. Can I? I'm going to knock this off. Do you mind? With the help of my beautiful assistant. <laughs> if you have your Bibles now, if you'll take those. Sorry for the length of that infomercial. It, but the reason i coming here to speak when I bring the books... It probably doesn't matter to you to hear this. It matters to me to say it. I do not take one penny to speak here. I don't take anything for the books. We've sold hundreds of thousands of copies of books. I've got a brand new one that'll come out in January 25 on aging gracefully. And uh, that was not a book that I could write until now. And uh, so... Uh, I don't take one penny from any sales. Hundreds of thousands of copies we've sold worldwide. It all goes. There's no smoke and mirrors. It all goes 100% to support our girls' homes in West Africa and, and in Southeast Asia. So I hope you'll go out there to the book table. Go out there to the book table and spend yourself into bankruptcy. Ignore Dave Ramsey. <laughs> Refinance your house. Use the children's lunch money. Come on. You're jolly tonight. Good. 21-day fast is over. You're ready to eat and laugh. If you have your Bibles, if you'll take those and turn to Acts chapter 2. I want to speak tonight on the unexpected expected. The unexpected expected. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. 
And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire, and it sat upon each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And there were, dwelling at Jerusalem, Jews, devout men out of every nation under heaven. Now when this was noised abroad, the multitude came together and were confounded because every man heard them speak in his own language. Pause a moment. I want you to listen to the words and not any folklore about Acts chapter 2. It does not say in Acts chapter 2 that they are speaking those languages. They may have been, but it doesn't say that. It says the people on the outside heard their own language. How here with them speaking every man. So somebody on the outside said they're speaking Parthian or Elamite or my language. I'm from Mesopotamia. And somebody else said, no, they're speaking Latin or Greek. So the anointing in that moment was both upon speaker and hearer. It was a supernatural communication. Now, when this was noised of all, the multitude came together and were confounded because that every man heard them speak in his own language. And they were all amazed and marveled, saying one to another, Behold, are not all these which speak Galileans? How hear we every man in our own tongue wherein we were born, Parthians and Medes and Elamites and dwellers in Mesopotamia and in Judea and Cappadocia and Pontus and Asia in Phrygia and Pamphylia in Egypt and the parts of Libya about Cyrene and strangers of Rome that would be that they spoke Latin, Jews, Hebrew, proselytes. Think of all the languages, Cretes, Arabians, we do hear them speak in our tongues the wonderful works of God. And they were all amazed and were in doubt, saying one to another, What meaneth this? Others mocking said, These men are full of new wine. New wine, meaning cheap wine, popsicle wine. But Peter, standing up with the eleven, lifted up his voice and said unto them, Ye men of Judea and all ye that dwell at Jerusalem, be this known unto you and hearken to my words. For these are not drunken, as ye suppose, seeing it is but the third hour of the day or 9 o'clock in the morning, 9 a.m. Good old practical Simon Peter. No highfalutin theology. He says, look, how, how much wine would it take to get 120 people so stoned they can't talk plain by 9 in the morning? He says, there's not that much thunderbird in all of Jerusalem. <laughs> but he says, this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass in the last days, saith God, I will pour out of my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. And on my servants and on my handmaidens, I will pour out in those days of my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heaven above, signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood, before that great and notable day of the Lord come, and it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Put your hand on your Bible, please, and let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we begin this adventure into your word, we ask that you will brush aside every barrier to divine communication. 
any word that might be misunderstood or misspoken, anything that I might say that would impede someone to hear, anything that would be in the ears of the hearers, in the hearts of the hearers, we pray that you will brush it aside, rush in over the threshold of our souls. Speak to us by your power within. That when we leave here tonight, we will say one to another, surely the Lord has spoken unto us. In the mighty name, Jesus, the strong Son of God. Amen. Amen. Suddenly, from heaven, it was this rushing mighty wind. Suddenly, the only thing is, in what sense was it suddenly? It had been prophesied for thousands of years. Joel, the prophet whom Peter quotes here, prophesied about it hundreds of years. Jews have waited on the outpouring of the Holy Spirit up until this, this particular celebration of Pentecost for thousands of years. And yet when it comes, it, it says, suddenly... I believe that's the way it is with so many things of the activity of God in our lives. That we wait, it seems excruciating, it goes on and on. Sometimes the timing of God just seems so frustrating. Somebody said, God is always an on-time God. I said, yes, but couldn't he come early sometimes? Suddenly, so many things in life are, are, we just wait and we expect them and we believe by faith and we, we cling to our faith, but it just seems like the, the clock of God drags until it arrives and then it's perfect. Suddenly from heaven, the wonderful, unexpected, expected. There's so many times when God shows up in a thing and we say, I didn't expect that. What a surprise. What, why would it be? Why would it be unexpected? Why would it surprise us that the supernatural God of the universe does something remarkable? How can we say, I didn't expect that? We should be able to say that that's exactly what I thought would happen. Now, it may not happen exactly the way we thought. I was preaching in Kumasi, Ghana one time at a small college, Wesley College, and they had gathered a group of evangelicals, uh, lead, evangelical leaders from all across Ghana. There were hundreds of them. We were meeting in, a, in the cafeteria of this little college. It was an off-season. The students were all gone. So we were in the cafeteria of this little college. And it was a blazing hot night. There was not the whisper of a breeze. There were bifold doors across the side of the cafeteria that they had folded back and then latched just to let any, any hint of a breeze come in the room, but there was nothing. It was just blazing hot in there. I had been asked to speak on soul winning. And when I got up, I, I just told them, I said, I, I, I don't want to be a bad guest, but I know I've been invited here to speak on evangelism, on soul winning, but I, I, I can't help it. I just feel tonight... I'm supposed to preach on the baptism of the Holy Spirit. There was a murmur in the room because it was a mixed crowd of evangelicals and not everybody wanted to hear a sermon on the baptism of the Holy Spirit. But as I began to preach, I read the passage I read to you tonight 
And as I began to preach, just been speaking just a few moments, all of a sudden, this is so hard to tell because you weren't there. It's going to be hard for you to hear. The, the wind in the room began to blow. The leaves of our Bibles began to ruffle. Pages that were loose on the desks began to flutter about. Everybody was looking around, and then we looked in the, the bifold doors on the side of the, of the cafeteria began to blow so hard that the latches were blown off, and they began to bang on the side of the cafeteria, and the wind became greater and greater and greater. And then we looked outside, and the palm trees that were outside the cafeteria were not being moved by breeze. And we realized that the wind was only in the room. All of a sudden, a man in the back stood up and, and cried out in, in tree, the language, the Shanti language, in tree, cron, 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 holy, holy, holy. And we all just fell on our faces in the floor. And somebody said, wow, I wasn't expecting that. No, I... I guess I wasn't expecting that. I wasn't expecting that exactly. But when God shows up, whatever he does can't be entirely unexpected. He's the God of the universe. We pray and believe for signs and wonders and miracles and for gifts and manifestations and the witness of the Spirit. And then when we receive them, we, we say... That wasn't, that wasn't what I expected. I believe that we should live in a, in a sense of expectation. Already understanding this may, I may not be able to describe what this is going to look like exactly. I may not be able to tell you the, the three steps or the five keys or the four solutions, but when God shows up, it's going to be exactly what we expect, the supernatural power of God, the unexpected, expected presence of God. So we come to Acts chapter 2. Jesus, sometime before Acts chapter 2, meets with his disciples, according to John's gospel. And it says he breathed on them. And he said, receive ye the Holy Spirit. Whew. Receive the Holy Spirit. But John records absolutely no response of the people in the room. Nothing seems to happen. Jesus says it. Receive the Holy Spirit. He breathes on them and says, receive the Holy Spirit. But there's no written record that anybody did. I wonder how many times later on they said to each other, what do you think he meant by that? What was that all about? When he breathed on us and said, receive the Holy Spirit, what, what do you think that was about? I believe with all my heart, Jesus is both prophet, priest, and king. And I believe on that night, he was speaking prophetically. It was a prophetic sign act. He was saying, 
when this happens, don't resist, receive. So if I, if I said to you, next week, the pastor is going to come to your house, and when he knocks on the door, receive him. I think that's what Jesus was saying. Pretty soon now, the Holy Spirit's going to come. And the sign that it's him is going to be... When that happens, say, wow, this is the unexpected expectation of the coming of the Holy Spirit. Wasn't just that. Wind, fire, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, tongues, gifts, signs, wonder, 5,000 men, not even counting women and children, 5,000 men born again in one moment because of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. So how do we know that it is what they have been expecting all these years that they waited thousands of years for and then received suddenly? Because without any prompting, Simon Peter, who is not a particularly educated, he's not a rabbi, he's a fisherman. He stands up and spontaneously quotes the second chapter of Joel. And Joel was known. I'm not saying it was a remote passage, but it wasn't central to the, to the concept of, of Judaic theology. It was kind of laid on the cutting room floor of Judaic theology. Yes, the Holy Spirit will come, this outpouring, signs and wonders, but it didn't really make sense to the ancient Jew. The passage Kind of, in, in a way, it kind of rankled them. God was from, if God said, when the Holy Spirit comes, he'll be poured on rabbis, they would have said, great. Or when the Holy Spirit comes, he'll be poured on men. But it says, on women, children, little girl, that's, that's hard. It says your teenagers are going to prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. As an old man, I can tell you, that's topside down. Old men don't dream dreams. We have memories. But God says, when the unexpected shows up, expect that the old men will have dreams of the future as if they were teenagers, and teenagers will speak prophetically as if they were graybeards. That men and women, boys and girls, equally will be received the power of the Holy Spirit. And not just the Jews, the Gentiles who live in your homes, your servants, your handmaids. They'll be Receive the Holy Spirit. Well, that passage was, yes, it said it's a prophecy. Yes, it's in Joel. Yes. <laughs> we don't really know what that means. So some 850 years later, the wind blows in the house and fire comes and rests on people's head and people begin to speak in tongues. And Simon Peter, a fisherman under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit says, oh, this is what we've been expecting. This is just what we've been waiting on. I didn't know what it would look like. But this is that. This is that which was prophesied. This is that which we've been waiting on. This is that which Jesus said. When Jesus breathed on us, he said, when the wind blows, when you feel the breath of God, you'll know what it is. He said, this is that. I recognize it. I know what it is. Now, why... Why Pentecost? 
Why that day? So we have, we have the book of Acts, so we think that the people in the book of Acts had the book of Acts. It was happening to them. They weren't reading it, you understand? They didn't wake up that morning and say, Pentecost, 9 o'clock, <laughs> Acts chapter 2. They were just Jews who had celebrated the feast of Pentecost, Shavuot, the feast of weeks. Pentecost is a, a Greek name when it was translated into for the Septuagint. It had to come up with a Greek word for Shavuot. And it, it, so they, they took weeks, seven weeks, plus one, seven times seven is 49, plus the day of Passover makes 50. So they said Pentecost. Any Greek word that has a, uh, um, the prefix penta is a derivative of five, a pentagram. The Pentagon, that five-sided building in Washington where nobody knows what's going on, that... A pentathlete is an athlete that takes part in five different sports. So Pentecost was the celebration of 50 days after Passover, of the harvest, the celebration of God. These were just, these were 120 Jewish people who had celebrated Pentecost their whole lives whose ancestors had celebrated, whose ancestors' ancestors had celebrated, all the way back to Moses. I don't believe for one moment that they woke up that morning and said, it's Pentecost, 9 o'clock. I think that that which they did not expect was exactly that which they had waited on expectantly and they received the power of the Holy Spirit shows up in such unexpected, magnificent ways. Ways that we, later on, we ought to have been able to say that, you know, that didn't surprise me at all. But when we realize how surprised we were, we realize how little faith we really had. If we'd had the faith we thought we had, we wouldn't be surprised. It was in a small village on the border between Ghana and Burkina Faso, tiny little village. And we were there to preach. Somebody came and said, there's a baby dying in this hut. Would we come and pray? We went in there. There was an old lady holding that baby. And it was all in different language. It wasn't in tree and it wasn't in English. It was all going on in different language. And it was confusing and dark in the little hut. And there were witchcraft things hanging in the hut, little fetish markers all inside the hut. And uh, when we came in, you could just feel the spirit of darkness in the room. And that old lady lifted that little baby up and his little arms just fell back. And I turned to Sammy Odano and I said, oh, oh God, Sammy, this baby's dying. We gathered around and prayed for that little baby. And then finally, somebody said to that old lady, you have to go out. And we realized it wasn't the grandmother that she was a fetiche priest. She was a witch, what Americans call witch doctor. She was a witch. Made her go out of the room. Somebody began to plead the blood of Jesus. You could hear it going on in the room and the power of God. And all of a sudden, that little baby pulled his arms back up like that and screamed like a newborn. I, I realized how little faith I had. That miracle happened right in front of me. And I should have said, this is exactly what I thought was going to happen. 
Instead, I found myself saying, wow, that was unexpected. Why would it be unexpected? That's exactly what God said he would do. God is a healer. Our God is a deliverer. Our God is more powerful than the forces of darkness. Our God says, I will show up. I will be mighty. I will deliver. I will heal. And when he does, we say, well, I wasn't expecting that. So they go to the upper room. And they're praying and celebrating Pentecost. And all of a sudden, the wind begins to blow. The wind begins to blow. Imagine the sound of a tornado ripped through this room right now. Not a hair on your head ruffled by a breeze, but the sound of a tornado. Wouldn't that be exciting? Might scare the liver out of you, but wouldn't it be exciting? No sooner does that happen than a visible tongue of fire begins to appear over every head, right up over the top of your head. Tongue of dance like a right out of a fireplace. Fire dancing. You say, whoa, whoa, I'm just visiting. I don't want one. Doesn't matter. You're here. You get one. And no sooner does that happen than people begin to stand up and, and to speak and in the tongues of men and of angels. And people begin to cry. What's going? What's happening? What's going on? Somebody from some foreign country stands up and says, I, 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 what, I, they're speaking my language. I don't understand this. I don't know what's happening. I don't know what's going on. We ought to be able to say with Simon Peter, this is that which God has prophesied from the very beginning. This is that which happens when the Holy Ghost shows up. This is that which happens when the power of the Holy Spirit is poured out on God's people. This is not strange to us. This is not unrecognizable. This is exactly what we think will happen when God shows up. The problem is that we live with a reductionist view of Christianity for much of our lives. A kind of manageable Christianity. Christianity deprived of its supernatural power is actually, in a way, more comfortable. The, uh, the unexpected doesn't freak us out. Everything, you know, we have church and it's good and go eat finally and after 21 days. And, but, but when God is loose in the house, then it's not quite so manageable. It's not quite so, what's the word I'm looking for? Predictable. It's not quite so predictable. The unexpected can happen. That's how I was trained. That's how I was taught. I I was taught a predictable, manageable brand of Christianity. The theology of it is called cessationism. We believed, I was taught, and I preached it because I was taught it, that the supernatural phenomena of the Holy Spirit had ceased, cessation, had ceased with the death of the last apostle. I was taught that the the unexpected supernatural power that's witnessed in the book of Acts, that 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 was the booster rockets I was taught. This is actually what I was taught. That had to get the church outside the gravitational pull of the first century. But once that's gone, the booster rockets fell off, and now we don't need that stuff anymore. Now we have a nice, 
tidy, predictable Christianity. We don't have all that stuff. That's what I was taught. And that's what I preached. The problem was it was also in that tidy, unempowered, vacuous, predictable Christianity that I had to live. That's where I had, that's where I had to live too. Let me tell you something. If Christianity without the power of the Holy Spirit is rugged, ministry without the power of the Holy Spirit is horrible. Seven years, seven years, I pastored in the most predictable Christianity you can imagine. Seven years. I know what some of you think. Sitting and listening to a dead, unanointed sermon is the worst thing in the world. It's not. Preach one. <laughs> Preach one every Sunday. Preach one every Sunday. You have nice, tidy, predictable Methodist people. Stand up, sit down, kneel, say your prayer. Try to beat the Baptist of Morrison's. Seven years. And at the end of seven years, I realized I had nothing to show for it. Nothing. I'm, well, not nothing. We had a killer softball team. We'd, oh, man, we beat the Baptists every year like a two-year-old at a Walmart. We just cl cleaned them up. But you, you, you got to have more than that. After seven years, empty, lonely, predictable, stamped out Christianity Sunday after Sunday that looked like the Sunday before it and looked like the Sunday after it. And the emptiness within, our marriage in trouble, my mind in trouble. Now, I just kept trying to do what I was doing better. Trying to work harder, make it happen. And it was so deadly and predictable and, and joyless. Joyless. One Sunday morning, we had a visitor. My whole church was about the size of this little section of chairs right here. So I could see everything. One Sunday morning, there was a visitor sitting right back over there. Had a nice suit on everything. Visitor in that little country church, great. Nice suit, greater. I was happy to see him. It came time for the doxology. Anybody remember the doxology? Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise him all creatures here below. Praise him above ye heavenly hosts. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Fairly praiseworthy little song. We began to drone through it with our usual bovine enthusiasm. <laughs> Praise God from whom I... And this visitor standing back there, he put his hands up. Threw his hands up in the air. In my church... I'm sending him telepathic messages from the pool. Put your hands down. He was oblivious. I finished my sermon, and I always shook hands at the door. That was the Methodist way, and I was at the door. My people go, yeah, go get, go get some lunch. Bye, bye, bye. I, I wanted that visitor. When he came, I grabbed his hand, and I said, now, sir, listen to me. In all of my... 20-something knowledge and experience. He's old enough to be my dad. I said, now, sir, I want to make one thing perfectly clear. You're welcome here. We always like to have visitors. You're welcome here. But we don't have any of that stuff in this church. We don't do that kind of thing. Nobody had ever raised their hands 
in the church that I pastored? I said, we're not going to have it. I know there are churches where they like that kind of stuff. We don't do that here. He didn't get mad. He didn't, he didn't scold me anything. He put his hand on my shoulder and he said, Pastor, do you have the joy of the Lord? God, I thought if I could get my thumbs around your larynx, I'd show you the joy of the Lord. It made me so angry. I, I announced, I said, I'm going to preach a six-week series on joy. It's an amazing thing to watch a really angry man preach on joy. We're going to have joy in this church if I have to kill some of you. But nothing, nothing unexpected, nothing joyful, nothing delightful, nothing miraculous, nothing. It was Sunday after Sunday, Monday after Monday. My marriage falling to pieces, my, my mind crumbling, falling deeper and deeper into depression. Suicide at my fingertips. I said, God's going to have to do something or this is not going to end right. So I was made by the church where I was working. I was made to attend a conference for Methodist preachers. First week of December, 1975. I know that's before most of you were born. First week of December, 1975 is a conference for Methodist preachers to learn about the Holy Spirit. And I refused to go. I was the associate pastor at a big church in Decatur. My pastor said, well, you're going. He said, I'm, I'll pay for the room. I'll pay your registration fee, but you're going. I showed up there angry, late, forced to attend. Maybe the way, maybe the way some of you are here tonight. <laughs> Look, I've gone to many a meeting to get somebody off of my back. I understand. I'm trying to make this painless for you, friend. You show up late. They had 120 Methodist preachers. No laymen were allowed to attend, only preachers. 120 Methodist preachers signed up for the conference, and some nincompoop set up exactly the same number of chairs as there were registrants. 120 chairs, so no extra chairs. So when I got there late, the only empty chair in the whole place was on the front row. So I had to go in and sit on the front row. There's a little man sitting beside me there with his Bible on his lap and glasses. He said, we're going to have a great conference. I said, mm. <laughs> We sang a few Methodist hymns. And then the speaker said, tonight our guest speaker is Dr. David Siemens. Renounced author and pastor at the First Methodist Church in Wilmore, Kentucky, an adjunct professor at Asbury. We're going to ask him to come and speak. The little man sitting next to me said, now, pray for me, son. And he got up and came up on the... And you can just feel, you know, this thing is going south. And he got up and he said, I know you've invited me here to speak on the baptism of the Holy Spirit. But he said, I, I just don't feel led to do that. I said, ooh, that's unexpected. I said, great. He said, instead, I feel moved to preach on sin in the ministry. I said, oh, that's unexpected. <laughs> you ever hear people say, 
Pastor, you ever hear people say, you stepped on my toes? You ever hear that? You stepped on my toes? That little man whipped me with a bicycle chain. <laughs> man. When he got finished, though, he didn't give an, he didn't give an altar call, invitation of any kind. And I, I, I went out. I left the hotel. I didn't even go to the room my church had paid for. I got in my car and drove all the way home. I got home. My wife said, you didn't stay. I said, oh, baby, it was crazy. You can't believe they call themselves Methodists if they want to a bunch of jack-leg Pentecostals. I said, it was nuts in there. We sang three Methodist hymns and heard a sermon on holiness. I said, oh, it's crazy. I said, anyway, I can't go back tomorrow even if I wanted to. I realized, I remembered, I need to mow the lawn. It's the 5th of December. I got up the next morning. It was one of the most coldest Decembers in the history of Georgia. I had a coat on my gloves. I cranked the lawnmower. I'm walking up. And at that time, I had a Catholic neighbor on one side and a Baptist on the other. Don't you know they hit the windows? Come here, Margaret. He's gone over the edge. I realize I'm walking up and down in the front yard, and there's no grass thrown out. And I said, this is crazy. I have a four-credit A at the postgraduate level in pneumatology. I'm not going to be intimidated about the person and work of the Holy Spirit. I went and got my shower, got dressed, started out of the house. Here's why I, I never understand women. Why won't they just leave it alone? <laughs> started out of the house and Allison said, decide to go back. <laughs> so a God. I drove across him pulled up in front of the hotel, got out, put my Bible under my arm. I said, I hope somebody says Holy Spirit to me. I hope they just say it. I got in. The morning session was over by the time I finally got there. And just as I got to the conference room where the conference was, it ended and the doors sprang open and they poured out. Methodist preachers that I had known, some of them were weeping, some were laughing, some were in the floor. I, I said... Right out of the book of Acts. What meaneth this? What, what is up going on? I found a nice, conservative Methodist preacher, one of my own tribe that I trusted and to, be, to do nothing unexpected. And I found him, and I went over to him, and I, his name was Marcus. I said, Marcus, what in the world happened here? And this nice Safe Methodist preacher grabbed me by my lapels and screamed in my face. And he said, Jesus has healed me and filled me with the Holy Ghost. I felt it was time for my seminary voice. I said, now, Marcus, when you say Jesus has healed you, I mean, what are you trying to communicate? How do I, how do I plug into that? How do I connect? When you say, Jesus has healed me. I mean, what are you trying to say? Oh, you laugh. There are people that listen to that every Sunday. <laughs> he stared at me like I was speaking Russian. He said, healed, Mark. He said, I've been deaf in my left ear since I was a child. And the other speaker, not the one from last night, but the preacher from California just prayed for me. I'm healed. He said, I can hear in my ear. And he said, I've hated my father's guts since I was 10 years old. And he said, I've forgiven my dad and I've been filled with the Holy Ghost. Well, I knew exactly what to do. 
When we came back for the afternoon session, I got on the back row. I said, if we're going to have unexpected stuff, I want to get out of the way. I want to get out of the fall range, you know. The afternoon speaker creeped me out anyway. Dr. Ralph Wilkerson, God rest his soul, he's in heaven now. Pastor of the great Melody Land Christian Center in Anaheim. Great, great man of God. But he, he freaked me out. He named his church Melody Land. No, you, you can't do that. First Baptist, Mount Perrin, I understand that. But Melody Land. Also, he had on white shoes in December. Now, listen to me. There are just some things after Labor Day, you cannot wear white shoes. Listen to what I'm telling you. Wilkerson got up. I got in the back row. And he got up and he preached from the second chapter of Acts. And he did not say one single thing I disagreed with. I kept listening for him to say something. He didn't say one thing. I thought, well, that's unexpected. I thought he'd be crazy. And, so, and he got finished. And he said, that's enough of that. <laughs> that's enough of that? You can't end a Methodist sermon. That's enough of that. I said, he hadn't even read his poem yet. You can't do that. He said... I don't like to talk about the Holy Spirit in a vacuum. He said, Lord, breathe on us. He began to pray. God is my witness. The temperature in that room must have gone up 30 degrees. We were sweating. Men began to cry. I began to cry. I pitched forward out of my chair right in the middle of the floor, overcome with guilt and fear and depression. And Wilkerson came out and knelt down in the floor and he put my head on his shoulder like a baby and I braced myself. I said, I know what he's going to do. If he'd have said anything but what he said, I think I could have resisted him. If he'd have said, all right, my friend, we're going to shake tongues out of you. I could have fought that off. He whispered in my ear and he said, brother, pastor, I love you. I said, if you knew me, you wouldn't love me. I said, my life and my marriage and my ministry are hanging by a thread. I said, I, I tried to kill myself on Thanksgiving afternoon. I said, I, I'm not going to make it, friend. He said, don't you want to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit? I, I opened my mouth to say, no, I don't believe in that. I don't, there's no such thing as a second work of grace. No. And I heard my own mouth Say, yes, yes, that's what I want. And I realized for once my spirit and not my intellect had answered. He said, all right, I'm going to lead you in a simple prayer. He did, a little prayer. Father, I give you everything. I give you my life, my marriage, my ministry, my pride, everything. I surrender. And I ask you to fill me with the Holy Spirit. He said, now I'm going to lay hands on you. I said, oh, here it comes. Here it comes. I have been taught that Pentecostal evangelists carried buzzers in the palm of their hands. And then when you came up, the, hit that buzzer on your head and 
knock you down. He's, that's what I was taught. He said, I'm going to lay hands on you. He said, oh, God, he's going to buzz me. I know he's, I know it. I, I, was expecting, I was expecting him to buzz me. He put his fingertips on my forehead. And he said, okay, son, in the name of Jesus, receive the Holy Ghost. I don't know what happened to anybody else in that room. I never give other people's testimonies. I know what happened to me. December the 5th, 1975, used up, demonized, suicidal Methodist preacher fell on the floor of the Ramada Hotel in Atlanta, and God filled me with the Holy Spirit. God changed my life. He changed our marriage. He changed my ministry. He changed everything. The unexpected, I, it was so, it was so unexpected. I couldn't have predicted it in a thousand years that at that conference, a preacher from California with white shoes would lay hands on me and God would change my life, change my world. I was so afraid I would lose it. I'd, I, had no, I had no education. I didn't grow up in Pentecost. I didn't know churches like this existed. I just spent my whole life in little dead Methodist churches. I, I, so I had no teaching about it. I had an experience that one night. I woke up on Sunday morning, and I, I was terrified I'd wake up and it would be gone. I woke up. I, I was wired. I said, man, it, nothing, it hadn't gone. I told my wife, I think I'm going to walk to church. She said, walk to church? I said, I'm gonna, I think I want to walk to church. I took my Bible, started walking. The, the trees were so green. The pine trees were green. The sky was blue. I thought I was having an LSD flashback. It was just, it was just everything. I said, Lord, you have cleaned up the world. And God said, the world wasn't dirty. He said, I have peeled the film off of your slimy little soul. I walked along. I had this irrepressible urge to giggle. I said, God, I've ruined my career. I've spoken in tongues in front of 119 colleagues. I fell on the floor weeping. I've received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It's public. My career in the Methodist church is finished. Please don't make me giggle. We got to the vestry. Dr. Boland, the lead pastor, and I were where you robe up. We were in there putting our robe and stoles on and everything like that. And he'd say, how you doing, Mark? I said, good. <laughs> Anybody here have a misspent Ruth? Do you remember when you were stoned and everything was funny? You remember that? <laughs> Bobby just shot his foot off. <laughs> the cops are coming up the back steps. <laughs> So he was to preach that morning, and I was to be the liturgist. I was to, the liturgy, when to stand, when to kneel, all that kind of thing. Everything was fine until we came to the Apostles' Creed. We kept the Apostles' Creed taped on the pulpit like that. And let us stand and unite our hearts together in this historic confession of the Christian faith. A thousand Methodists lumbered to their feet. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, this only Son. My eyes went down the page, and I saw the line where the train wreck was going to happen. 
We got closer and closer to it, and it built up inside of me. And when we got to it, I threw my hands in the air. First time I ever raised my hands in a worship service, and I remembered that man that had been in my church. I raised my hands, and I said, I believe in the Holy Ghost. And the Apostles' Creed was over. A thousand Methodists. Nobody had raised their voice in that church in 50 years and I realized, well, cat's out of the bag. And I said, look, everybody, I've had a wonderful experience with the Lord. Something totally unexpected. <sighs> Dr. Boland's preaching this morning, but tonight I'm preaching. And I'm going to tell you what happened to me. If you don't want to hear it, don't come. When I got to church that night, the parking lot was packed. We'd had the balcony roped off for five years. The balcony was full. <laughs> Methodist worship leader was there. She had her hymn book. She said, oh, look at all these people. She said, what do you think we ought to sing? What should we sing? I said, Rowena, have a seat. We're not going to sing tonight. And I just stood up. I read Luke eleven thirteen. 13, if you then being evil know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more will your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? And I told them what had been happening. I told them about my depression. I told them about our marriage. I told them how we were struggling. I told them. Then I told them what happened on December the 5th. I told them about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I told them straight out. I said, I spoke in tongues. I wasn't asking for it. I didn't even know what it was when it happened, but I did. And I said, my life has been changed. You could hear a pin drop in the place. I said, now I'm going to have a prayer. And if you're not interested in this, you're dismissed. You can leave. If you want to receive, you come forward. But I'm going to pray. And if you don't want this, you just leave. I started praying and I could hear the people leaving. I could hear their feet going. I thought, well, I just pray till the whole church is empty. And then I looked up and I realized they weren't leaving. They were coming forward. Hundreds, hundreds of good Methodist people. They had been starving, starving. Didn't know what to ask for. We didn't know what to tell them. I could see them with their hands up and tears streaming down their face. Do it to me. Do it to me. Do it to me. I looked at those people and I realized I'd crossed some kind of a Rubicon. I knew I... I Two things were clear to me. I could never go back. I could never go back. The other thing was, I realized I didn't know what to do with these people. It, it never crossed my mind anybody would respond. It was unexpected. It was unexpected. I should have expected it. You speak on the baptism of the Holy Spirit and invite people to receive the power of God, you ought to expect they would respond. It was totally unexpected. I didn't know what to do. I panicked. I looked up and there was a, a man that was sitting right on the end row, right where you are, sir. He was a retired insurance salesman, been trying to get me to go to a full gospel businessman's fellowship for years. I thought he was certifiable. I would have voted to Baker Act him. I thought he was nuts. I looked up and it was as if the whole congregation went away and Harry was standing right there. I said, every head bowed and every eye closed. I had a Body mic on, I turned it off and went up the aisle. Harry never looked up, had his eyes closed. I walked up the aisle and put my hand on his arm. And he said, you don't know what to do, do you? 
I said, oh, Harry, this is totally unexpected. He said, not by me. He said, dismiss everybody else and take those who want to receive into the next room. I took them in there, and that old layman took me through a remedial course on ministering the Holy Spirit. Nothing in my life, career, ministry, education, three degrees, prepared me for that moment, but that insurance salesman. He said, lead them in this prayer. Then he said, now reach over and lay your hands on them. Oh, for a Methodist. The bishop lays hands on people for ordination. I said, oh, Harry, I, I don't know if I have the authority for this. He said, in the name of Jesus. I reached my hands out and began to pray with people to receive the Holy Spirit, moving from one to the next, receive the Holy Spirit. And when I looked up, Harry was gone. You remember when your dad taught you to ride a bicycle and he'd run along behind and hold the seat and then you got to the end of the street and you realized he had let go? That's what that humble, retired insurance salesman did. He set Pentecostal ministry of this preacher in motion and didn't even stay for any applause. That was pretty unexpected. Since that day, I've lived an unexpected life. I've preached on every inhabited continent of the globe multiple times. Some ministries built, hundreds of thousands of people went to Christ, many more baptized in the Holy Spirit. I've seen signs and wonders and miracles. My life has been unexpected. It's not the tedious, expected, pedestrian ministry of the first seven years. It's been an explosion. I'm not saying, indeed I'm not saying, that were you to ask God to fill you with the Holy Spirit tonight, that he's going to make you an international evangelist or a Pentecostal pastor. Please don't hear that. What I am saying is that if you said to him tonight, here I am, Lord, at the age that I am, at the station in life where I am, here I am, Lord. Take my life and fill me with your spirit. From that moment on, your ability to figure out God is done for. From that moment on, the adventure of Pentecost begins every day no matter how you set it up on the calendar and everything else every day from that moment on is the unexpected presence of God to do all the things that the Bible tells us to expect but from that moment on the unexpected empowerment of God comes and changes everything it could be that that happened for you years ago and it's just, I don't know, drained away or something. Become dry. That happen, That can happen. There's nothing at all wrong with saying, Lord, my, my life has just become altogether too expected. I want a fresh bath of the unexpected. There's nothing wrong with that. The most expensive tractor on the finest farm in the richest country in the world from time to time needs fresh oil. Nothing wrong with asking, God, give me fresh oil tonight. I, I don't want to live in plastic Pentecost. I want the unexpected 
adventure of serving you. I want to set you free, God, to show up at any moment and do something I never dared to think of or imagine. I want fresh oil. Others may say, I never have prayed that prayer to start with. You're, you're, you're like the people who showed up on the day of Pentecost and you weren't expecting what happened to happen, but now the opportunity is here for the unexpected baptism of his power to happen in your life. And it is not complicated. Luke eleven thirteen 13 says, If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? Not to them that are going into the ministry, not to them that are suicidally depressed, not to them that deserve it, not to them that are in bad enough shape to need it, but to them that ask. The, the, a greater, more broad invitation could hardly be imagined. Your heavenly Father will give the Holy Spirit to them that ask. I'm 76 now, and I don't know how much time is left for me. Five minutes, five years, I don't have any idea. What I know is I don't want the adventure to end because I decided to end it. I want to live in the unexpected abundance of the expected supernatural power of God. I want the Holy Spirit to flow in my life and out from my life into the people around me. So I'm asking you this question as I close. Have you received the Holy Spirit since you first believed? I'm not asking if you attend a Pentecostal church. God can make Pentecostals out of the chairs you sit on. I'm asking, have you personally received the Holy Spirit? I'm not asking whether your parents are filled or your grandparents or the pastor. Have you received the Holy Spirit since you believed? Have you received his unexpected power? And have you received it lately? Will you bow your heads and close your eyes all over the house, if you will? Heavenly Father, I thank you for these precious people gathered in their numbers, expecting something from you, expecting from you. God, we, we want your power. We want your grace. We want your touch. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Where there is sin and bondage, bring liberty. Where there is hurt, bring healing. Where there's guilt, bring deliverance, and forgiveness, and mercy. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Fill the atmosphere. Fill this room. Fill us. We welcome you. We welcome you. We welcome you. Holy Spirit, thou art welcome. We welcome you. Now, with your head bowed and your eyes closed, if you would say, Dr. Mark, will you please pray for me? Please pray. I need the unexpected touch of God on my life tonight. I need it. It's not optional for me at this point in my life. I need the Holy Spirit. If that's you, then you lift your hand up where you are. I want to pray for you. Yes. Oh, so many. So many. Oh, so many. So many. So many. So many. Oh, 
God, you see the hands. You see the hands. You see the lives. You see the hearts. You see, God. And God, we expect you to honor your word in unexpected ways. We believe you. We thank you. We praise you. Now, when I say amen to this prayer, we're going to stand and begin to sing as the worship team leads us. People around you raising their hands, worshiping God, singing, but not you. You raised your hand. You want the touch of God's unexpected grace. You're going to slip out from where you are. You're going to make your first move into the aisle. If there are people between you and the aisle, tell them, let me out. And you know what? They may come with you. Now, why would you hesitate for a moment when God himself calls you and no man? In the name of Jesus of Nazareth, stand up and be healed. Let's stand all over the house. And as we begin to sing, you come, make your way. Come on. Make your way right now. Come right now. Praise God. Praise God. That's right. That's right. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Come on. We'll wait on you. Come on. Praise God. Praise God. Beautiful. Just come. Come on. Praise God. That's wonderful. Praise God. Come on. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. What a mighty God. What an unexpected moment. Praise His name. Praise God. Come on. Praise God. Praise God. Give Him everything. Give him everything. Begin to surrender. God, I give you my life. I give you my past. I give you my sins. I give you my strengths. I give you my weakness. I give you my fear. I give you my loneliness. I give you my depression. Give it to him. Begin to surrender. Just begin to surrender. God, I give it to you. I surrender. I yield it to you. My pride, my fear, my loneliness. My marriage, my past. Go on, surrender it. I give you everything. I surrender, I surrender, I surrender. Begin to do some business with God. Begin to say, God, fill me. Let your expectation rise. Let your expectation rise. Praise God. Let your expectation rise. Faith is expectation. Let it rise. Let it rise. Let your faith rise. Let your expectation rise. Now I'm going to lead you in a prayer. I want you to pray it right out loud. You've been strong to walk up here. Your expectation of faith has been great to come all the way up here. Now pray boldly. Pray with bold expectation. Faith. Are you ready? Pray with me. Heavenly Father, I give you my life. Everything. I lay it all down. I surrender. Every relationship. All my sins. Every bondage. All my fear. Every dark thing. Every good thing. 
All my possessions, my pride, my ego, I lay it all down. I'm willing for the best people in town. Say it out loud. I'm willing for the best people in town to think I've lost my mind. I'm not willing to live anymore without the power of the Holy Spirit. I expect you to be, to fill me tonight by faith because you promised it in Luke 11:13. So according to that promise, I'm asking and I believe and I receive. Now in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, receive the Holy Spirit. Receive the Holy Spirit. Be filled from the top of your head to the sole of your feet. Receive the Holy Spirit. Be filled. Now begin to open your mouth and praise Him. He's filling you. He's filling you. He's filling you right now. Receive thou the Holy Spirit. Be filled. It flows through your mind, your brain, down through your extremities, in your body, in every part of you. Receive the Holy Spirit. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. We expect God's supernatural power to fill you right now because He promised to in His Scripture. Now begin to open your mouth and praise Him. Just praise Him in English. Praise Him in Spanish or Portuguese. Praise Him now in tongues. Just open your mouth and begin to magnify the Lord. Lord, we praise You. We worship You. We bless You. We laud and magnify Your holy name. Into la mapalama defiaco jambo bafiani. Lord, we praise you. We welcome you. We receive you. That's right. Go on, open your mouth and praise him. Don't even worry about how it sounds. Oh, magnify the Lord. Oh, magnify the Lord. Go on and praise him. Go on and praise him. From this moment on, everything changes. The unexpected becomes your way of life. From this moment on, at any moment, God could show up and do anything. We praise you. We believe you. We thank you. We praise you. What a mighty God we serve. What a mighty God we serve. Praise God. Praise God. That's right. Just lift your hands up and praise Him. Go on and praise Him. Lord, thank you. Thank you for filling me. Thank you for changing me. Thank you for fresh oil. Go on, open your mouth praise Him. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. The unexpected miracle of God's presence. Thank you, God. 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 Thank you. Now, if you'll just keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed for a moment. This is the kind of thing that anybody could say to any crowd anywhere. But I believe somehow God spoke into my heart that there are those here that have been struggling with real darkness. Real darkness. And it's dropping. It's falling. The chains are breaking. It's falling. Darkness is parting like a curtain. And now the curtains are coming down. If that's you, if you receive that, if you say, I believe that the darkness that I came in with is unexpectedly parting and falling. If that's you, will you lift your hand up and I want to rejoice with you. Yes, ma'am. Yes. Yes, ma'am. Yes, sir. Yes, son. Yes. Thank God. Thank God. Thank God. Thank God. Whether that darkness is depression or fear or loneliness, 
It's breaking. It's breaking. I believe it's falling. It's falling. Habits are falling. I believe addictions are falling. It's breaking. Everything of darkness is breaking. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Praise you, God. We worship you. We laud and magnify your holy name. Now, will you just lift your hands up one more time and begin to praise Him all over the room? Just open your mouth. Open your mouth and begin to thank Him. Praise you, God. Praise you for your unexpected presence. Praise you, God. Praise you, God. Praise you, God. Praise you, God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Now, if you'll just stay right where you are for just a moment, and in a moment, the pastor will make his way up here. But will you look at me for just a moment? I know how Satan works. I know how he works. Satan is a liar, and he's the father of lies. So what he's saying to somebody right now is, something may have happened to everybody else up there, but nothing happened to you. If you think about it, that is the proof that something did happen to you, because Satan is a liar and the truth is not in him. So, so when you get the chance, you take your Bible and you write in the flyer page of your Bible, write this date. What is the date? I don't know. Uh, February 4th. I have no idea what the date is. But neither does the President of the United States, so that's all right, I guess. All right. Write it down in your Bible, February 4th, February 4th, 2024, and right underneath it, baptized in the Holy Spirit, filled with the Holy Spirit. Write it in there. Write it down in your Bible. And then when that liar comes to you, when that liar comes to you and says that nothing happened, you hold that up and you say, it's written right there in my Bible. God showed up in an unexpected way. And he did that, which people have been expecting since the dawn of creation, the power of the Holy Spirit. God bless you, and God bless Mount Perrin. Come on, can we sing that? To do whatever you want, I will make, and I will make room for you. Thank you. To do whatever you want. Do it.
what he's done. give the Lord praise. Amen. Amen. Come on, give him praise in this place. He's worthy. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Surely the Lord is in this place. I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. And the beautiful thing is, it's just getting started. Amen. Amen. It is just getting started. So the only way I want to end this service is in anticipation of what God is going to do tomorrow night. So the way I want to end this service is, by faith, I want you to give him your highest praise for what he's going to do tomorrow night right now. Can you give him praise right now? Come on, blessed be the name of the Lord. Amen. 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 Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. God bless you folks. Love you so much. You make your plans to be here tomorrow night, 7 o'clock. See you then. Thanks for listening to today's message. If you would like to learn more about North, be sure to check out our website at mountparanorth.com. If you have any questions, you can email us at info at mountparanorth.com or give us a call at 770-578-9081. And if you're in the Marietta, Georgia area, we'd love to have you join us for worship next Sunday at 945 or 1115 a.m. Again, thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.